My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. Hi, it's Paul here. I really hope you're enjoying the show and I'm going to ask you a favour if you are. Please do follow us. If you do, you'll get to hear all of the episodes first and of course it helps with my self-esteem. I'm only joking. Don't forget to rate us. We're currently on 4.9 stars, which is really exciting and every rating makes my mum, Teresa, laugh just a little bit more. Welcome back to part two of this two-part episode with Simon Squibb on My Mum Made Me. In the last episode, we heard about Simon's difficult relationship with his mum, how he was kicked out of home aged 15, was homeless, was estranged for a number of years, you know, the initial reconciliation, the therapy, the conversations. In this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the repeated attempts to reconcile with his mum as an adult, including around the birth of his son, but also how that's not led to a closer relationship with his mum. Simon talks very openly, honestly and candidly about how him and his mum are very different people, how perhaps he's come to the conclusion that he doesn't actually like her as a as a person in his own words and that might be difficult to hear and comprehend but there probably are a lot of people around the world in a, a similar position and Simon talks very openly about how to navigate that, how to navigate those emotions and how he did as well. So that's that and more coming up on this episode of My Mum Made Me. What about now? So you've had the, um, I wouldn't say the benefit, but anyway, the benefit of, of time and, and healing. It sounds like there's still stuff unsaid issues there as there will be with any child to their parent I think but would you characterize the relationship you've got with your mum now differently from I don't know 10-15 years ago when you were going through that healing process? One of the hardest things I found falling out with a parent is again that societal norm of well if I've fallen out of my mother what's wrong with me? Hmm. You know like I've spent a lot of time in Asia my wife is from Asia and family is the most important thing to people in Asia. Mm -hmm. Like elderly parents are literally held up as gods. And so when I tell people that, you know, I don't speak to my mother, it's quite shocking. And, and I've always felt quite, I've always craved family. And I, and I think that um, in short, it's taking me, I would say up until about, I think I was 35 when I just basically came to the realization that, you know, blood might be thicker than water, but I, I don't like my mother. Hmm. I just don't like her, you know, and, and I don't want to keep trying to be, to have a connection with my mother when every time I meet with her, she causes conflict between me and my brothers, me and people I know it's just it's just nothing but pain and hurt and anger and arguments and you know i've got my part to play because i call her on her bullshit i i don't accept her narrative around things like brexit i don't accept her narrative around food allergies don't exist and so you know i just cannot i cannot tolerate bullshit and so you know i cannot sit there and just listen to her bullshit her self belief bullshit so it's just, I just came to the realization that, 
you know, I'm I'm not going to have anything to do with her anymore. And I think she had the same. However, when my son was born, I felt it wasn't my choice for my son not to see his gran. Right. So when my son was born, I did attempt again to connect. But then I felt like I was chasing her to have a connection with her grandson. Hmm. You know? And this, by the way, is someone that drives around in a car with the number plate mum on it. <laughs> that gives you some idea of what it's like, you know. Wow. Um, so she she drives around with that number plate as if she's the best mum in the world. And I don't think she realises, you know, that she's, she's certainly not. But, you know, but being a gran, you know, I like my son to have diverse points of view. That's fine. Yes. Yeah. I like my son to have a connection with his gran. That would have been amazing. Yeah. But unfortunately, food allergy is one thing where she just didn't believe those sorts of things. So I'm scared to even leave him with her. Um, and, and the second element is that, you know, she still has a strange control structure around me. So, you know, it's not about being with my son. I, it turned out it was about still trying to cause me pain. So um, she'd say she was coming to meet me and my son and I'd be excited because of my son could meet his gran and then she just wouldn't turn up or she's, I'm going to oh go my, my hair cut instead or, you oh know, and I just, God. I started having this kind of little weird, like emotional pain where I'm like, I'm happy that my son's going to meet his gran and then she doesn't turn up or she, mm. she's going to go get her hair done, you know, and I'm like, why am I putting myself through this? And it's so that's pain. it. And, it's end your of pain, story. Your pain and his pain. Yeah. Yeah, and I just I, at some point I just I just have to accept that you know sadly um, I, I just I just she m might be my family and she might be my mother but as a person I don't like her uh, it's hard to say um, and I'm sure she you know she's got her side of the story I was I was probably a very difficult 15 year old you know I'm sure she's got her reasons for her you know way of thinking about it all but bottom line is um, I don't believe in Brexit. <laughs> and and never those twain shall meet uh -huh. it's really um I've, I've sort of got a lump, lump in my throat saying this uh or partly because of what you said about you know the story about your mom not turning up um it's a really brave and difficult um conclusion to come to that this isn't working and um i i can't have the relationship that i perhaps at one point wanted with my mom slash a parent I think there are probably a lot of people up and down the country, around the world, who have it, it subconsciously or consciously come to the same conclusion, but perhaps not been able to, um, you know, ride it out for, for whatever reason. I have a slightly different um, challenge, which is, you know, much like yourself, very humble beginnings, no, not even two pennies to rub together. And in a small way, I've made a success of what I've done. My mum still lives in... I mean, less so, but, you know, 10 years ago, I was still living in poverty. So there was a sort of a guilt kind of, okay, I've got to make this right before I can move on and deal with other things, including some of the sort of stuff we've discussed. So I think it, it, it differs, that lens differs for different people, but there is that sort of unrealistic expectation of, no, no, you have to have the most perfect relationship with your parents, et cetera. And it's just not conducive to kind of the way we live, um, I guess. Do you think that, or, or kind of what would be your advice, if you will, for other people who perhaps had that narrative inside their head of this isn't working. I'm not sure I can have a relationship with this parent. Yeah, I mean, like any relationship, you've got to understand the rules, really, haven't you? You know, like I think 
I, I've been married 20 years and I think we've both changed because you do change. People say you don't change. Of course you do. Your priorities change, your desires change, you know, things change. And I think what's made our marriage work is that we've always had, you know, once a week, honest conversations about things. You know, you adjust and you you give and take, which is a saying I'm trying to change to give without take. But, you know, you give and take and you, you, you uh, accept what each other needs. And I think when that doesn't happen, you have to be realistic about things, you know, like, I, I, um, when you live with someone like a parent, you don't know what you don't know about them, right? So I didn't know that my mum was a racist. I didn't know she mm. was a racist. It wasn't until I said I'm going to marry a Chinese girl that she went, really? Wow. You know, like in disbelief. Not do you love her or are you happy? You know. And so I think that I never really understood that my mum was a racist. Mm. You know. And 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 she would deny that she is, uh, but you know, and and by default, I've had a um, unconscious bias installed in me, right? And so, you know, by accident, I don't think I'm racist, but I have had to work quite consciously to remove the subconscious bias of her uh, projection of racism, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I think the bottom line is that you know, if if someone doesn't have the same moral code as you. And someone isn't willing to uh, realign themselves to what you believe is right and wrong, then you do have to let them go. Um, otherwise, you end up getting corrupted by their moral code and end up like them. So that's why I would say, don't take advice from anyone whose life you don't want. You know, if I was to, to hang out with my mother, we all accidentally become a little bit like the person we're hanging out with. So you know. I uh, I don't I don't I don't want to be racist, and I I do believe in food allergy problems for kids, and mm. I and I do believe the education system is broken, and I do think we should be working with the EU. I I can't I can't compromise on these things, you know. Like, and, yeah. and I will listen to an argument, an economic argument, or a moral argument that can change my mind on something, but I do think yeah. that you know certain certain things. You, the answer is you have to cut people, unfortunately, yeah. and it doesn't matter if it's your mother, your brother. A girlfriend, your wife, your husband, if their moral code doesn't align with yours, if they're doing things that are unethical, if you if you just don't disagree and they will not discuss it and they will not even attempt to change their ways, then that's that. Final two questions for me, Simon. First is what's been left, if anything, unsaid? Well, there's probably two things if if my mom was to listen to this or, you know, I'd probably say, first of all, I actually had a really nice childhood from like zero to 15. If I, if I mm. think about it, I, I, I see it. I had problems like any kid, but generally I was very grateful to my mom. She used to play Monopoly with us and we had a nice house and, you know, I, I just felt that generally, you know, I didn't know she was racist. I didn't know these things. And that when ignorance was bliss, you know, like. I had a good childhood and, and I, I'm grateful for that. Um, I, you know, I don't forgive her for throwing me out at 15, but I am grateful for my life today. So in some respects, she gave me a good 15 years at the beginning and she did something awful that actually also helped me out by accident. So I wish her well. Um, she's missed out not seeing my son grow up, but that's her fault. She needed to get her hair done. Wow. Powerful words. 
Thank you for sharing that, Simon. I wanted to, the final question for me is actually a part question, a part challenge, because I'm interested in your perspective. One of the big, um, I guess, core values or kind of life missions, if you will, if that's not too grand a phrase for me, is getting and helping more working class kids do better in its simplest form to get get better jobs get sort of um better access to you know politics business services um etc and i'm perhaps unfairly characterizing some of what you've said publicly in the past around okay cool part of that is giving people the um insight skills and agency to be able to take control of their finances and and other things and you know then everything else flows the challenge i'm not suggesting i believe this but i'm I'm just putting a devil's advocate is it's impossible for everyone who is from that sort of background let's just say all working class kids to do well financially or to put it in more vulgar terms to kind of get rich and i know that's not what you believe but what would you be your response to someone who challenged you to say look you know not everyone can do that what are the other things like getting a mortgage like going to university that can add those sort of either fail safes or kind of steps up for working class kids in the uk why can't everybody do it of course they can do it and and i think that that's the narrative we need to challenge and that's the narrative that those kids are told actually and that's the narrative that their subconscious believes because we believe what we're told between the ages of zero and seven. It goes into our subconscious, not our conscious brain. They've been told that already. They've been told that they probably won't be able to be a footballer. They probably won't be an artist. You probably won't be this. You probably won't be that. And that's not right. And so I would say to everybody out there, rich or poor, you can be whatever you want. Spend some time thinking about what your purpose is. Ask those woo-woo questions that no one thinks you should ask. What is it you'd like to do? And I guarantee you, owning a home will not make you happy. It won't. (laughs) But doing something you love every day will. I remember when I uh, sold my company and I did a post about how I was retired. And I said, I'm so lucky. I'm so, so lucky. I'm taking myself. I was pushing the pram. It's one of my first TikToks that went viral. I was pushing the pram, taking my son to nursery. And my video was how lucky I felt because I could take my son to nursery. And then later, I was going to be able to have time to pick him up. I've made it. I've made it. I'm a multimillionaire. I've made it. And the comments in this video reminded me, a lot of people were like, well, I'm, I'm broke and I'm doing that today. Right? And I thought to myself, well, then you don't even realize you're lucky. You and I are no different. It's not about how much money you have. It's the perspective of what you have, right? And to me, time is the most valuable thing. If you can take your son to school and you can pick him up, you are winning. If you are enjoying what you do during the day, regardless of the financial outcome, if you're enjoying it, you are winning. I know bankers, miserable as hell, own two houses, sitting at a computer right now, trading on a computer, derivatives, living hell, owning Mm. two houses. You know, so I think people need to start realizing that success comes from enjoying your day to day. And the most important thing is don't listen to anybody else. Whatever it is you want to do during that day, you can do it. But if you don't enjoy what you do, 
you will want to buy a car to try and make up for it. You will try and buy a holiday to make up for it. You will do things, drugs, alcohol, anything to get away from your day-to-day. And you don't need any of that shit if you enjoy your day-to-day. And that is success. And the conclusion is, I guess, money don't make you happy. Happiness makes you happy, which is which is completely fine. Back to the example of the the, the person who commented on your feed I'm broken. I'm pushing my kid to school in a pram. I think you're right. Like, you know, you, you can't buy time. And the happiness that you get from those small moments is more valuable than any amount of money. However, there is a certain level to which I guess you need to get to financially. Now, that level doesn't have to be high. But in order to have, let's just say, a comfortable life in modern Britain, do, do you accept that, I guess? I mean, I'm guessing the answer is yes, regardless of how, you know, how many times you get to push your kid to, you know, nursery in a pram, there is a level to which people want to get to, to feel like they don't have to worry about money. See, the irony is the fun is in the journey, hmm. right? I was the happiest the moment before I made all the money. <laughs> you know, as soon as I made all the money, I then had to figure out ways to keep all the money. You know, you have a new set of problems, you know, and that's human nature anyway. But yeah. it's actually the journey that I enjoyed. And the reason I'm rich is because I never thought about the money. Mm. I thought about like consist enjoying what I'm doing meant I could follow through. And that follow through meant that businesses did well and people bought them. You know, like I never thought I'm going to be rich. I thought I enjoy this. Now I don't enjoy it. I'll get someone else to do it. You know, like that's it. But I think that people chase money and they shouldn't. They should chase purpose. And it's not it's not a, a, a get rich hack. It's a be happy hack. Amen to that. Amen they to will that. It in an ironic twist. To finish us off, what's next? Like, where, where can people find a bit more information about you? What are you kind of doing next? Um, are we going to see you on Dragon's Den anytime soon? You'll never see me on Dragon's Den. I, I don't. <laughs> Uh, show is not real, and I'm quite a real person. That show is not real. Um, good. I've invested in 76 startups, and let me tell you, every single founder that's let me invest in them, it's been an honor and my privilege. I don't sit there with the money hoarding it over them, promising to introduce them to Sainsbury's for 50% of their business. That You'll never mm. see me on that show doing that. I think my, my aim and my plan is to help fix the education system, either with the government or without them, and give people access to choice, a choice to start their own business if they want when they leave school. Um, a chance to not go to university and start a business if they want, if they want, have the tools to do what they want. And I don't want uh, people to um, be segmented into workers and the 1%. And so I want to give people for free the tools to learn business. I will never charge people for help. That's my platform's promise. So that people can find me at thepurposefulproject.com. This year, we will launch a platform which is basically called Help to Earn. And the idea is that those that can help people for free will be there but those that need to earn to help people will also be there but the people Mm. that get help will never be charged and so it's like free education that's the whole idea at scale and it's um i'm excited about it because i think we get back to being a community we get back to being tribal you know we're meant to be five thousand people in a village helping each other and and thanks to things like mortgages, we've got our own homes and we close the door and we've forgotten about this. We've forgotten that we're meant to look after the person at the end of the street has got nowhere to sleep tonight. And uh, and, I, and I'm trying, trying to change the narrative from like a society where we give and take, I'll help you if you help me, to give without take. 
I help you because I can. I help you because I've got a spare room. I help you because mm. I've got a spare change. I help you because I know the person you need to speak to at Sainsbury's. You know, and I want to get to a point where we just help each other and I'm going to build a platform that enables people to do that. It's so powerful. That is so powerful. And it's so wonderful to hear someone in your position talk like that as well, particularly from the backgrounds that I guess both of us share as well. Simon, thank you for being so honest. Thank you for your candor and thank you for your time. No problem. Thank you for having me. We are on social media. How exciting. You can find us on Instagram at my mum made me pod. You'll get us on Facebook at my mum made me, Twitter at mum made me, and even TikTok at my mum made me. Why follow us on socials? Well, you're going to get extra bits from the show. You're going to be able to see our guests on video and, of course, watch their reactions to my mum's lovely and sometimes a little bit weird voice notes. So give us a like and a follow.